Hey, there's several new people here today. My name's Carrie. If I hadn't had a chance to greet you. Thanks for coming, checking us out, and hanging with us as a family. I was just sitting down there, my, my legs are running like this, and George looks at me and he goes, you're ready to go, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know why, but I'm sort of like, what's that phrase, jacked up today? Now, I've never been jacked up with drugs or mentally. I've never been jacked up with some of these guys that lift weights and beef up, but... I don't know, I'm jacked up spiritually. You ever have those days, those weeks? I'm in one of those modes, so hang on. We're going to go for a ride today, all right? Is that good? The uh, series we've been in is The Shocking Statements of Jesus, and it's entitled, He Said What? And uh, I decided that today we're actually looking at the original shocking statement of Jesus today, And the original shocking statement of Jesus is found in John 6, and we'll get there. But um, this is the last uh, Sunday on this series. Not that there aren't more incredible, shocking statements of Jesus for us to look at, but um, I don't know. There's just some things coming, some things that are exciting, and uh, I just felt led to say, okay, because I didn't know. You guys probably wonder every week, like, what's the statement going to be, right? Well, I've been wondering too every week, so I just sort of sit before God and say, which one of these, you know, incredible kind of shocking statements of Jesus are we going to run with? But the um, upcoming weeks, I just want to highlight, next week is Mother's Day. Men, men, husbands, Mother's Day, men and women, remember your mom, call them next week. Get ahead of the game, whatever it may be. But next week, um, we have the opportunity. I'm going to share a little bit on a couple of things. But um, I'm going to have um, Stephanie Tucker share with us. And Stephanie's back over here. I just confirmed with her she's still good to go. And so that's great. You are going to be blessed. I find it very difficult um, on a Mother's Day to have a guy speak. That just doesn't work. And so uh, Stephanie's very passionate and has been involved in ministry. Her and her husband uh, run a recovery ministry. And um, yeah, they're in our life group and, and she's got a heart full of Jesus and she's going to bring that heart full of Jesus. She's a mom too. And it'll, it'll all be good Sunday next week. Uh, Sunday after that, um, you don't want to miss the Sunday after that. Um, I'm not going to tell you why, but just be here on the 20th. And uh, I'll be sharing that week, and we're going to be talking about some uh, church stuff, but a bunch of other cool stuff. Anyway, uh, the following week, though, it's in your program, we have um, a missionary couple coming, Keith and Sarah Negenfeins, and uh, if you look at their picture, uh, pray for them in these weeks. They are home on home assignment as missionaries with the Christian Missionary Alliance. They are missionaries in Thailand. And I never fully dialed in that they were around the corner in Carlsbad. And so they only had a few weeks left, and we have the opportunity for Keith to come. I was at district prayer conference this week. Um, uh, We're part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. It was up in Riverside, and all the pastors were gathered and everything. And we had the chance to hear different people. And, man, God kicked my butt. Maybe that's why I'm all jacked up. I don't know. That phrase comes, by the way, from our Alliance pastor in Ocean Beach, and his name is Mark Porter. Some of you remember Mark Porter. He's spoken here before. He's physically jacked up with muscles and stuff, but he's also over the top for Jesus, and he was talking about how, you know, they're doing ministry down there on Ocean Beach, and they literally have to, on baptism day, they do baptisms in the ocean, which would be cool, right? And so they literally, though, step over people who are strung out 
and on their way to the beach for people whose lives have been changed and turned around. And so he was using that phrase jacked up. And I'm like, maybe that's what I am this morning when I was like antsy getting up. I'm just jacked up and going. Anyway, we were at the district prayer conference. Keith spoke at district prayer conference and I talked to him afterwards. Um, I knew him from a few years ago when I actually came from Indiana to speak here in this district a couple times. And then once in Colorado when he was a young worker. And I always was like, I want this guy to get before my people. And so Keith is coming the last Sunday of this month for sort of like a Great Commission Sunday, Global Mission Outreach. But I don't even care if he speaks on global missions. I want him to share his passion and his heart concerning being a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Keith is here with his wife, Sarah, and uh, they got a couple kids. We are going to do our May gathering because um, we once a month we sort of come together and do a family gathering kind of thing. Uh, that morning, right? Tom, are we still on for that? We're good, right? I just woke Tom up in the back row. <laughs> Welcome. I'm glad you guys back, got back from Myrtle Beach or wherever you were. That's what I was. Uh, but we're going to do breakfast at 9 a.m. We did this last year. You guys remember some of you. And so we're going to be right outside, set the tables up outside. That gets you all to church early, I figured, doing a breakfast. And there's going to be sign-ups for that, right? And, and we'll, get, we'll get that around. Anyway, you don't want to miss May 27th. Now, I know that's Memorial Day weekend, right? When I was in Indianapolis as a pastor, that was not a good Sunday attendance-wise. It was the Indy 500, and you either went to the 500 or you got out of town because the 500 was coming to town. And, um, but I've noticed down here, because we all live in vacation area, and you know we can go any different kind of weekend, that Memorial Day is not too bad. So I really want to encourage you to plan your Memorial Day weekend around coming on the 27th, 9 a.m. for breakfast, and then to hear Keith and Sarah. I think Sarah's going to be sharing some of the children's ministry um, at 10 o'clock. You got that? And the following week, Joe, you're on the following week. Yeah, so it's like graduation Sunday, and they're going to send off some seniors there, all that kind of So good stuff. You said, Carrie, I thought you were going to speak. What are you up there giving announcements for? Friends, this is why I'm jacked up, because there's good stuff happening and different things. Anyway, um, can I just pray for today, and then we're going to jump into what God has for us. Jesus, where two or three are gathered, there you are in our midst, and we really believe that here this morning through the presence of your spirit that you sent to abide and dwell within us as followers. And even, Lord, if we're just checking you out and we're not a follower of yours this morning, I know that your spirit is present, wanting to speak and encourage. Jesus, we ask that you would help impart to us the vision of what happened in this chapter we're looking at today. Incomprehensible for me to think, in part, that as we open your word, God, and read through this chapter and reflect on not only the teaching, but the environment, that you look back on that time as well. It's a memory for you, Jesus, this very hour. Lord, may that memory you had with your followers, this people who were seekers looking after you, trying to figure you out, Lord, your disciples, May that memory that occurred 2,000 years ago and the substance of what you taught that day, may that come home to us on this day. Lord, speak to us through your spirit to encourage us to be lifted up by the power of your presence in our life and the hope that you bring. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that if there's anyone here who's never had the chance to come into a vital 
loving relationship with you, that they would discover that. For Lord, you are life and life eternal. Amen. We've looked at four sayings. Today, as we conclude, we look at what's referred to as the original shocking statement of Jesus. And that is this. The statement that says, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus actually said that. Some people in the early centuries thought Christians believed in cannibalism. Not because of just these statements that were referenced, but because how we're going to close our worship hour today, and that is by taking communion. We live 2,000 years after Jesus said these words, and we think, okay, those are shocking statements. He said, what? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Oh, he must have been referring to something like what we now do when we take the bread and break it and take the cup and drink it in remembrance of Jesus Christ. But that's not what they knew then. You see, these statements that we're going to look at are statements that were spoken before Jesus ever went to the cross, before he ever went to the upper room and shared communion, the Last Supper. Now, he maybe was giving for glance to that, and we'll tie that back in together this morning. But there were shocking words, and it turned many off, turned many people away. See, Jesus isn't as nice and, and cute and, and uh, safe as we sometimes think. And Jesus also isn't sometimes as sane as we like to think. I'm not saying that he's crazy. But he would say shocking statements. And where are the statements that we looked at in the last few weeks of love your enemies, hate your parents, cut off your hand, do not judge. These statements, eat my flesh and drink my blood, took people back. And it may take you back today. No, Christianity is not a cannibalistic faith. But Christianity does have a cost. And it has life or death in the middle of it. These words come from John 6. A couple different places they're mentioned. I mentioned this to begin with. John 6, 53 through 55, Jesus said to them, Verily, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, referring to himself, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Now, if you never heard those statements, if you never knew anything about the Bible, if you were just a commoner, and you had never really been maybe too interested in religion or faith even, and you sort of gathered on the hillside and heard somebody speak those kinds of words, what would you do? You would have confusion on your face. You might have a little bit of a cringe moment. You might have an aha moment, but I don't see a lot of aha moment kind of experiences happening with the people as they listen to him speak these words. And we're going to fully understand these words. We're going to have to get a lot of context to it. 
And so I'm going to invite you to take your scriptures and open to John chapter 6. So if you've got uh, your Bibles or if you have the U version or something as an app on your phone, that's fine. And um, we're going to just walk through a chapter. A lot of times we just pull out a verse here or there and we throw it around and when we expound on it and then we're gone. I want to pull out the context of this whole chapter. This whole chapter. For this shocking statement of Jesus led them to this. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Really, this is where the whole concept for the idea of he said what series comes from. The original hard teaching of Jesus. Shocking statement of Jesus. But as we've said, there's others. And we may circle back around to doing part two on this kind of series because when I looked at all the different shocking statements of Jesus we could look at, we could have kept going for several weeks. This chapter has context to it. And the context takes place in the Sea of Galilee area. How many of you have been to Israel? Okay. I often have wondered this. Man, we just all got to pack up and go sometimes, Mike. We got to get that trip together and just take a, a trip to Israel. And I saw one of our sister churches this week is doing an Israel trip. And I'm like, I like that idea. But um, having been there a couple times and I start reading these stories, it does come alive. It becomes more real to you. Jesus with his disciples, but also with a lot of people tracking around after him. In the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River to the north empties into the sea. The sea is about 21 feet long, 13, I mean, 21 miles long, maybe 13 wide or something. Beautiful area. If you ever go to Israel, this, you know that they didn't make this a shrine that didn't have anything real behind it. This is the real place. Jesus walked around. And it was sort of like a bowl shape. So it's, it's higher on, both, on all the sides. On the eastern side, there's higher mountains, about 4,000 feet there. The Golan Heights and, and the, east, uh, the western side are a little bit lower plains, about 2,000. But the Sea of Galilee is like 600 feet below um, sea level. And the winds would come in and the winds would tear up the Sea of Galilee and it would become stormy. And a lot of those things that we have in scriptures, the one is today, it comes from that kind of context. All right. And this um, section that we're walking through today, it really is divided into the three things. It's three stories. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus walks on water. And then Jesus is referred to as the bread of life. And These three sections need to be taken together in order for us to understand the shocking statement of Jesus when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. So you ready to go? You good? You got your Bibles? You got your apps? If not, you're going to have to do a really good job of active listening. Ready? Here we go. Chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. It it has different names, Gennesaret Sea as well. So Tiberias is there on the western side. It was a new town, by the way. It was about, it only got developed sort of, I think, in 24 AD. So this was a new thriving town around the Sea of Galilee at that time. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. 
Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, it's important to understand the Jewish Passover festival. Looking back, it's what Jewish people would celebrate when um, the angel would pass over back in the Exodus and the young wasn't killed. Uh, The Passover celebrated annually. Jesus celebrated it annually. Passover festival's near. They're all thinking in terms of that. And he's got this flock of people, this crowd of people. Imagine, I don't know, some small stadium of people just wandering after them. And why were these people following him? You can answer this if you want. Why were they following him? What did it say? Because he performed healings on the sick and many miraculous signs. It was like, check it out. Check it out. This guy's a miracle worker. Now, some of them were maybe thinking, oh, maybe he's the Messiah, the one that can change and transform lives. But they're like, get out. Who is this guy? You ever had people following you for the wrong reasons? Being your friend for the wrong reasons? Jesus had a lot of those. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of his disciples, where shall we buy food for these people to eat? And Philip said, at the In-N-Out Burger. Young adults, you need to go uh, afterwards today. All right, so he did not say that. He asked this only to test him, Jesus did, for he already had in mind what he was going to do, and Philip answered him. Philip's still thinking in the natural mind. Philip's been tracking around after him. Philip has seen what Jesus has done. Jesus is testing him, toying with him a little bit. I think Jesus toys with me sometimes. I don't know if you feel that way. He's like, hey, Carrie, do you really? You know, that kind of thing. And he says uh, that statement to Philip, and Philip answered him, duh. It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Even if you go to In-N-Out Burger, it's going to be expensive for us to go in town. How are we going to feed these people? Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Hey, 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 hey. Here is a boy with five small loaves and two small fishes. But how far will they go among so many? Okay. Jesus said, have the people sit down. So they're sitting down on this hill along the Sea of Galilee area. Have them sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Again, Scripture refers a lot of times to men. They don't number the women or the children, so we know probably five times at least three, maybe ten to 15,000 people were sitting down. That's a pretty big group without a microphone. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all when they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, "Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted." So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they were intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. All right. Most of us are familiar with this story of the multiplying of the, the loaves and the fish, right? Every time I read it, I, I am still taken back by it. And how, how did that really happen? Like when they were passing the baskets around, did it just sort of like, you know, multiplying the basket or whatever? But they collected more than they ever gave out. A true miracle. Now, again, it's Passover. They're reflecting back who was the big time hero for the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Moses. 
Moses was the big-time hero. He led them out of uh, Egypt, all right, from Pharaoh's rule to the promised land, all right? And the two stories you find most about Moses are which two stories? The parting of the water and the manna that would come down every morning while they roamed in the wilderness for 40 years. And the manna, they would get up and it was like bread. Like, wow, the grass turned into bread. Let's just pull that off of there. And if they kept too much of it, what would happen? They would rot, right? And they'd get sick on that kind. So they learned that every morning they would get up and they would be provided with their means for that day. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So when he taught them to pray that, he, they understood. They were thinking back to Moses. And here Jesus was taking the bread and the loaves and he was doing a miracle in one sense, that started to supersede this whole concept of Moses because they were longing for someone to lead them. I believe it was in these kinds of moments that there was some allegiance that shifted. So it was no longer just Moses of our history, ancient history, but who is this prophet? And that's why they were excited. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they said, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. <laughs> They're getting their hopes up. This, he's the one. Look what he did. I mean, this is better than Moses and us getting in the manna every morning. Wow. But their focus was on the material aspect of the bread and the material kingdom that they hoped would come in their physical realm at that moment. Jesus was bothered by this. Jesus was bothered by this. They knew he knew that they were coming to him, wanting to make him king. And he's like, they don't. <laughs> you have a close friend in life where you sort of turn to him sometimes and you just joke and kid with them. Or they get you, right? I see this intimate relationship between Jesus, the son of God, the son of man with his heavenly father. And he withdraws to pray after they have come after him and he's taken off so they don't try to rope him in to be some king. And he just looks at Jesus and says, and they, they don't get this, Father. They don't get it. I think sometimes he says that to us today because we're so material-minded. What's my substance today? What am I going to eat? How am I going to buy this? You know, how am I going to be able to sustain this career? We're so myopic, you know, tunnel vision. Jesus was talking to them about eternal big things. And if you're on a spiritual journey here this morning and your life is sort of flat, I'd encourage you to get rid of your myopicness. Open up to the bigger picture of what God's doing. They just wanted him to be a king to take over the Roman oppression. Or they wanted him to be the celestial vending machine that they would just travel him around and he would give out food here and there. He's like, no, they don't get it, Father. So he, he pulls back from them. He was not going to be seized by them. All right, so he pulls back. You know, I was a um, little cul-de-sac sidebar here. I was reading and working through that this week, and um, it's probably good that I'm jacked up in one sense because it's a season in my life as a church leader that I need the Spirit of God flowing through me in an appropriate measure or we're all in big-time trouble. So you can pray for me. Uh, as you know... Uh, we rent these facilities here, and um, we've been here for a number of years. Uh, you guys were here before I even came. 
And so we were talking as a board a few weeks ago about should we re-sign on some space that we want next door to get some children's space back, that kind of stuff. Then you get the dollar amount on or whatever, short story of it. It was like, you know, maybe we need to go back out and see if there's something else in this valley that would be a great place for us to gather and meet at. And so I've been on that journey a little bit. And this week, um, I'm like, God, it's expensive out there. But God, there's some incredible places you could open up for us to be at. I'm not saying it's a bad place. Sometimes it just becomes hidden. And we're becoming a much broader congregation now around the valley. This church was started in French Valley. And, you know, there's a prominent number of people. But it's really... I did the pushpin thing on a map this week, and I'm like, oh, looky there. We're sort of scattered around. And um, so, you know, we're trying to just be wise and discerning and, and development and future and all that kind of stuff. And I've done this, what, three or four times in my life as far as leading churches and, and where we physically plan ourselves at. Um, I told you there was a cul-de-sac hang, cul-de-sac, hang with me. And so I'm reading this story I'm familiar with this story. And I thought to myself, you know, we need that kind of miracle. We need God to multiply something. Some of you know when I came a few years ago uh, from Indiana, some friends here from Indiana, church I actually led, led there for a while, uh, I said, I want to rock this valley. And you all said, yeah, we want to rock this valley too. And so... God's just stirring in my heart. What do we do about rocking this valley? Are we being obedient to you? Many people come to Christ. If you weren't at the baptism last week at the Axine Zone, another great experience. Five people were baptized, including the radical drummer up here today. And uh, Jesus is touching and changing lives. And it's about people. It's not about buildings and facilities. I know that. But there's some broader vision that's in my heart that I brought and so that's all tied into some of this with trying to say, hey, do we re-sign a two-year lease on this building, other kinds of things. So I'm stewing with this. This is, this, is, this is what I do during the week in case you don't think pastors do anything. And um, I'm like, Jesus, we need multiplication to happen on multiple fronts. I want to see you glorified through your miracle. And... I was actually with an owner and a realtor this week in one facility that we looked at. And um, uh, Josh was with me over here. I still can't believe I did that with those guys. I'm like, I look at him as we're getting ready to leave. And I'm like, hey, I don't know if you people are faith-based or not. But can I just pray? And the only thought that came to my mind, because I didn't even look to see if they said yes. I just said, dear Jesus. I said, dear Jesus, bless these folks, their business, bless the realtor, those families, those kinds of things. But Lord Jesus, we need you to part the water so we can walk on dry ground. We need you to multiply the loaves and the fish for your glory to happen. And, you know, and I finished up real quick and said, amen. I still didn't look at him. I just said, I did what I did. I live in the New Testament world. Because the New Testament Jesus is the Jesus I follow. I don't want to live in fantasy land. But I want to live in faith land. And I believe God has something more for us. On the trajectory we were on. And you can just pray for this church a lot this week. And next week and the next week. Because maybe 
were to resign on these facilities. They called me, my landlord did this week. Hey, what's up? You guys making a decision? Isn't that? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not telling them I'm looking around. Can you take that off this tape in case they listen to it? <laughs> Enough for the call to sack. I'm going to lose my time here. I just want you to know that Jesus living his life before the people was a radical wake-up call that there's more to this life and than just the mundane clocking in and clocking out, raising the kids, having a nice time on the weekend. There's the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is not an earthly kingdom like they wanted to make him king. It's an eternal kingdom. And that eternal kingdom is a life-or-death situation for many because they're outside of that kingdom. Before I came in here this morning, I got a text I got a text from a guy that used to, a guy's wife who used to be on staff with me, the name of the box. And I'd called Brad this week and I said, hey, how's it going? What's up? And he says, I'm in hospice in Florida with my mom. And a bunch of internal surgeries went wrong. And um, she says she's just ready to go be with Jesus. And so I walk in here about 10 minutes before I came in. I got this text from his wife at 1050 a.m. While Brad and I were at his dad with his dad at church, Brad's mom went from the kingdom on earth to the kingdom in heaven. And I believe it was in large part because she knew she was at peace that her role as helpmate would be taken up by others and she could go on in peace. kingdom of God the kingdom of this earth to the kingdom of heaven Jesus was focused there he was focused on multiplying transformed lives yes he uses things like facilities and programs and staff and and uh, other efforts like what Michael said Michael thanks so much for pushing out on some of that local mission stuff that's such a great heart he has if you don't get to know him get to know him this is real stuff, and we got a job at hand, feeding the 5,000. But right on the hills of the 5,000, he walks on water. These two stories are tied together. Remember the Moses thing? He had the manna come down from heaven, God did. But there was also the parting of the Red Sea. It was almost like Jesus was transplanting these stories for him to be the center of their faith, as Moses had been for all those years. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Diagram. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. 
Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So you got the diagram, you got the story, right? He'd done the miracle, the feeding on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and he withdraws up into the mountains to get away from the people that are clamoring for him to be an earthly king. His disciples get in a boat, and they take across the, the, the sea to Capernaum to, to check in there, and Jesus takes off after them. And it's, this whole walking on water is recorded in some other places, synoptic gospels, but there Jesus is, and he's walking on the water, and he astounds them, that kind of thing. Then the people, guess what, back at the home plan, and they were still parking, waiting for the In-N-Out burger to open up. They're like, oh my gosh, the manager's not here. What are we going to do? And so they say, well, there was one boat, but then Jesus, he didn't go on that boat, so I don't know where he is. But they tried, they figured out, and they start chasing after him because their stomachs were hungry. They were thinking this earthly kingdom. They wanted to see some more miracles of healing, maybe. He was the wonder worker. How cool is that? They didn't have TV that day. They didn't have sports to watch during the after Sunday afternoon. So they're like, you know, let's go find the miracle worker, do something. And so they chase after him and they get over to the other side. And so then we come to this third section, which is front and center for why Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And that's Jesus is the bread of life. And going to start reading through this, but you've got to picture yourself in that environment where Jesus has this mass of people. They're still coming after him. He's frustrated because they don't get it. All right. And he's trying to impart to them new life. He's trying to tie together the history of Moses, the Passover, all this kind of stuff to, to let them focus on something real and eternal. And so we pick it up in verse 25 of John 6. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is to do this, to believe in the one that he has sent, referring to himself, right? So they ask him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Where did they go? Went back to the temporal, went back to their own little personal needs. Oh, okay, sure. Those are nice words. What are you going to do? What are you going to do for me? What are you, what are you going to do to, to wow us all today, Jesus? What will you do? Oh, and then they brought it up. You know, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I mean, he just fed these folks the day before in an incredible miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. And here they are saying, well, you know, Moses, and that whole big deal, it was every day. It was every day. We got the manna. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Do you think they knew what bread they were talking about when they said that? Like, 
Where, where's the kid with the little stuff again? Then Jesus declared, here's the statement, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him. Why were they grumbling? He wasn't opening up the store. And he was starting to say some words that were a little bothersome to him. Thinking to himself, who does he think he is? As this, the Jews, verse 41, there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the mere son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Do you get the context of this? It's as if somebody here that you know and you know their parents and you know where they live, you've been to their house, stands up and starts saying crazy, nutty things like I came down from heaven. What? I don't know if it's worth following this crazy man around. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will, be, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from Him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. Their jaws must have been dropping by now. Very truly, I tell you, that the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Verse 46, he's turning it not to the earthly. He's turning it to the eternal. And he's telling them straight on, I am the bread that you need to be eating. I am life for this life, and I am life eternal. Your ancestors, yeah, they got up every morning, and that manna was there. But guess what? They all died. They're not here today. You just want me to keep giving you manna to open up the store? But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. He then turns the focus onto himself. And catch this. The Christian faith is not about belief in Jesus. It's about having the very life of Jesus come and possess you. You partake of the life of Jesus. This is not intellectual consent. You may need to have the truth, to believe in the truth. But when it comes to true changing of a life, it's crossing a line that goes from just the knowledge of Jesus, the belief in Jesus, to having a faith in Jesus, like we sometimes say, the faith that this stool can hold me, I can sit on this. And when you partake by faith the very life of Jesus, 
He comes into you and he changes you. There's a lot of people trying to live as Christians today that have never been redeemed. They've never had this change. They play the church games. They talk the lingo. They walk it out. They may even read their Bible, but they've never eaten the bread of life. They've never taken the substance of Christ into them. And so this is what he's trying to bring across to them. They're thinking, isn't he just the son of Joseph? We know where he lives. Who is this guy? He came down from heaven and now he's standing before us and he's talking this crazy stuff. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. This is one of seven I am statements that's in John. There's no front end to the sentence. There's no, uh, you know, the whole sentence structure. He leads off. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. What's he talking about? Mental belief? No, he's talking about him being the divine God. And that he is the provider of all good, rich things. And you are to take his life within you. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Oh, Father, they don't get this. But Jesus is not trying to hide from them truth. He's trying to, to give them allegory or, or substance that's far deeper than just mere sentence words. He's trying to let them under know that your very substance for life is by taking his life, his eternal life within. And so they're arguing sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? I mean, they're thinking about, do you eat his arm? What do you do? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. If you have the life of Jesus within you, you will be raised up at the last day. You will have eternal life as well as full life today. My text I sent back to Jane was, oh, I agree. Such a time of incredible emotions and yet hope for you all. We'll continue to pray. Heading into a service to speak on John 6 and our Jesus being the bread of life and eternal life. He is both. He will sustain life for those in this life. And he has now brought new life for Brad's mom in the eternal day that awaits us all. Thanks for letting me know so quickly. Glad I called this past week. Love you. The Bach family has hope today. Because Brad's mom had eaten his flesh and drank in his blood. Do you get the comparison? It wasn't cannibalistic. It wasn't a crazy statement. Wouldn't it make sense that you need to have a power source come into your life to truly live the new life and to have eternal life? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven himself. Your ancestors ate the manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. 
He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And here's where it's stated. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? See, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Back into heaven. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. He's speaking directly to his disciples, the greater masses in the back. And then this is the saddest verse, I believe, in all of Scripture. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus wasn't just drawing attention to himself because he was a rock star. He was drawing attention to himself because he'd come from heaven, the bread of life. And he knew that they were goners unless they partook of his flesh and his blood. His physical essence coming through the spirit to penetrate his life. (laughs) He turns to his disciples You don't not want to leave too, do you? I appreciate Peter. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You ever been confronted with the reality of Jesus, what he wants to do in your life, which is to be Lord of your life? And you've got to make a decision. Do you stay or do you turn around and no longer follow? People baptized last Sunday morning, they declared, I believe, I'm a follower. Public declaration. Jesus calls each of us to make that decision. Have you made that decision? Just checking him out, that's cool. You got to know truth. But there comes a day where Jesus looks at you and says, you need to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Are you going to cross over the line and let my life come into yours? That faith. What about you, Peter, and the rest of you? Where do we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. I challenge anybody here to come up to me after service today and tell me if you've got somewhere else to go for eternal life. It's only in Jesus Christ. Verse 70, then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. Judas did not partake. Judas betrayed. We're going to just have Joe come up and we're going to have a time of communion just to close service. The elements are here to the front and to the back. Our tradition in this church is anybody.